Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. We've just heard from people in Mexico, Italy, and northern Colorado, three foreign nations, uh, to, to those of us in the heat of Middle Tennessee. But it's such a treat to see these folk and the way people write in and encourage us. I just wanted to hold up and say thank you. Some people just write a little note on a card and say thank you and send it to our post box. Uh, others buy an actual card and, and they'll send, and some will just. Some enclose a check. I'm not pushing for that. But some will enclose a check and then a little note just saying, you know, keep it up. We love you guys. That means a lot. It really does. To know that you're there, that you're praying for us. We know the views are there and we know that people are watching all over the world. But as a part of a community, we always need to reach out, right? Somehow make that we touch. So let's talk about our King Christ and that sermon he gave. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we call it there the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke 6, he gives another version of it that we call the Sermon on the Level Spot because they went around to look for a level spot, and then he taught them. And there's some really interesting differences between the two. They don't contradict, but they do fill in some gaps. And by the way, when you see the two differences, a lot of people will go, oh, no, contradiction. You can find contradictions if you want to, but no, this isn't one. It is him, he, he said it more than once. In fact, I've told some stories so often that when I start them, some of your lips begin to move because you've heard them so many times. You know, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm limited uh, to telling you personal you know, things from one, what I want to say, and two, from I'm the only person that lived them. So uh, it, is, um, it is wonderful to be able to say it more and more. However, let's get to this. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, and later the sermon on the level ground, he would have seen faces. He would have seen the faces of the people as he speaks. He wouldn't have had this kind of light on him. I assume the sun was not blinding him. Or, and so he could watch their reactions. Some people would be very surprised, and some people would be hopeful. Some were skeptical. Some would have shown only derision and disgust. Some would have walked away. Conversations would be going on during the talk. And we don't think of this because we only see paintings. We only see stained glass. And so to us, the teacher is teaching, and people have come to see the Messiah, and they are sat there orderly, looking forward, doing kind of, we can't see the motion, but mid-nod, you know, it's been captured. And there probably were some people like this, but life is not a painting. Life is not static. This week, I was asked to do some music. I know, I was surprised too. For um, two different assisted living facilities. The first one, they'd heard me before, and they know my mom. And so they were all in there, orderly, packed in, having a great time. Second one, never heard of me, didn't care. Um, I was now in her dining room, and why? You know, all of that was going on. I told Cammie, 
after about the third song, I was thinking, I really want to stop. I want to go home. You know, um, because they were talking to each other and then yelling at each other that they couldn't hear what was going up front because of the other. And it was, there was not a person in the room that was listening to the music for the first two or three songs. At the fourth and fifth, I think some, you know, had uh, walked away and others had come in and settled down. And I told her, I'm so glad it didn't stop. But it was rather like somebody playing in a bar and nobody in the bar is there to hear them. One of those things, I assume. I've, I've heard of these things called bars. Anyway, let's just move on. Let's move on. Patrick's in enough trouble. Life is not static. People were coming and going during this. And it's important that you get this because there's sometimes where Jesus seems to skip a subject and then he'll skip back in over here. And the reason is there is dialogue going on because that was norm. Somebody in a synagogue or in the gathering, and they're not in a technical synagogue, but it is the same thing, but outside, would be yelling questions, objections. This went on right in front of the speaker. By the way, that helps us understand why Jesus seems to jump, like I said, into left field a couple of times. Like, wait, we weren't talking about that. In Matthew 5, as was read to us by our brother uh, from a long way away in Mexico, uh, he, he's been talking about other stuff, you know, how to behave in a light, but then says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the pro- or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And you're going... Well, that, why, why would he say that? Because we've just been talking about being light, being peacemakers, being kind, uh, being meek, and being you know, full of love and such. And all of a sudden, and I'm not trying to do away with the law. Going, what? Why, why are we talking about this? Well, there are two main possibilities. One is that Jesus is getting them ready to hear the rest of chapter 5. Because people, chapter 5 is a landmine after landmine. It is, it is, um, it is going to shock people. We'll talk about the wise just very briefly. Um, because he will quote the law. He will quote the Bible. Please remember at this time, the only Bible was the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. They called it the scripture. And it is scriptures. And therefore, he says, I'm not here to... To break that up, but five times in this chapter, Jesus will quote the Bible and then say, but I say to you, how shocking would that be if you to go to a church and we read something, let's say out of Paul and go, well, that's what this says. But I say, do you think we would have a static crowd, especially in a group that is used to dialogue with the It's not heckling, but it comes close. A dialogue with the speaker. But there's a second possibility, and that was that Jesus, people were accusing him already of calling people to abandon the law or teaching something so new it could only be called a new Bible, a new scripture. When I was growing up, a long time ago, Jurassic Age, um, Earth hadn't cooled sufficiently yet for us to walk all those miles to school, but Um, when I was growing up, our pew Bibles had the New Testament and Psalms. It didn't even have the Old Testament in it. We were told that was because Jesus took care of that. We don't, you know, 
will tell some stories in BBS because there are a lot of great stories there about killing and, and murder and such, which really excite kids. It does. It does. So um, they, all get, they all go home and practice their slingshot skills, which uh, you know, parents certainly appreciate. But some of, some of our Bibles also had maps, but that was about it. Scripture portions are not wrong. They're not bad. I have in the past purchased scripture portions from the American Bible Society or the International Bible Society in bundles. The book of John in Chinese, for example, to give out to a community I'm trying to work my way into. Uh, the, and they, they really enjoy them. So those are good. However, doing without the Old Testament in your life is a really bad idea. Because without it, you can never really grasp the New Testament. We lose the poetry of the songs. And that was their songbook, their poetry, and their devotional manual. And in there, we find out it's okay to call and sing out your complaints to God. Because over a third of them are laments. Most of them resolve. What that means is mad, mad, angry, mad, mad, angry, mad, mad, angry. Last verse, but I still love you. You know, and, that, and you're going, okay. So maybe we could sing that song. A couple of them don't resolve. And yet, they're Jesus' songbook, his devotional book. It is what they used more often than any other. We, but we wouldn't learn about the spiritual struggle of Job, the horror and the hope and the really strangeness of Ezekiel. Or the despair of Jeremiah and Lamentations. We would not understand Moses. I'm sorry, Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. You do not understand him unless you know the Moses story. Because Matthew takes the Moses story and pushes it over top Jesus story. And so you have this every little... We'll get to it when we get to Matthew on our Wednesdays. When uh, Dr. Rick Hunter and I launched um, our first G, uh, Just Jesus stories. That starts the first week in August, so watch for that. But as we work our way into Matthew, you're, we're going to lay out the parallels between the two stories. And Matthew assumes you know the story, so he doesn't fill in all the gaps. Got to know the story. I could go on and on, but when the New Testament scriptures, New Testament writers talk about the scriptures, they mean the Old Testament, because no other book had been yet written. When Paul talks about to rightly divide the word, he's meaning the Old Testament because he hadn't written any yet, and he was the first writer in the time in the Christian age, starting somewhere around 40 AD and continuing through the 60s AD. It's a good thing to keep in mind. It's a good thing to keep in mind. They didn't have all these other books. This is important. We're going to come back to this. And don't attempt just don't even attempt to understand Romans, Hebrews, and Revelation without knowing a bit about the Old Testament. Because that's how they wrap their stories. That's how they tell their stories. That said, it's important to notice a couple of things in these verses. I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Some of the older versions said, not one jot nor tittle. Do you remember that one? And that always made me giggle when I was a kid, because it sounded rude. But it wasn't. Hebrew does not have vowels, technically. It has consonants. Now, some of the letters are breathing or space letters like Aleph, but to pronounce them, you're just supposed to know how they're pronounced. However, over time, 
diacritical marks. Those are marks there to help you understand the word were put in. Some above the line and a letter, some below the letters, jots and tittles. So he was just saying, even the vowels won't go away. Not one letter will go away. Until. You see the big word until? That's a pretty important word. If my wife and I were taking our vows and, uh, you know, I say, you know, for better or best and richer or poor, all that sort of thing. I don't actually say all that sort of thing. I'm just, till death do us part. That's, that's cool. We all get that. We've heard that in weddings. But if I were to say to her, until a better offer comes. Or until we look at each other and go, you know something? We really did a good job. We're done now. You would, that would, first of all, not be healthy. She's American. She owns a firearm and she knows where I sleep. So, <clears throat> but otherwise, when you say until, it means there's a close point. And people skip right over the until. Now, does that mean we throw away our Old Testament? Not in any way, shape, or form. Does that mean God threw away the Jews and now likes the Gentiles? No, he's not thrown away anybody. He's opened his arms wider and invited us to be part of his favorite family, which had been the Jews for all the time, and still is his family. He's opening up his arms. But um, we need to remember, we need to remember there was an until here, and then he will start doing that, but I say to you. By the way, the titles given to Jesus in Scripture indicate that he is the fulfillment of the law. He did fulfill and accomplish everything that the law was leading us to. By the way, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament would enthusiastically agree with that statement. But you remember Isaiah 9 verse 6 where he gets all those titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Did he do that? He did that. King of kings? Some people think, well, he will come back one day to that No, he said the kingdom was already here. Our kingdom is not about land and tanks and battles and deciding who owns what natural resource. We don't have earthly territory. Our kingdom is spiritual. Therefore, we don't need to build a kingdom on earth. And one of the things our safe harbor is all about is we're not going to be pouring millions into the ground. Instead, we pour Jesus into people. And we will do that as long as we can. <clears throat> Let me show you what I mean by saying Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. <clears throat> by the way, I can remember the first few times I had these. I'd turn my head to cough. It doesn't help. <clears throat> anyway, try completing this sentence. The Old Testament, the scriptures compiled and saved and given to us by the Jews, led us to Jesus, the promised one of God, the Messiah. I think we can all agree, right? So let's fill in the rest. Now that we have Jesus, what we really need is... Can you put anything in that line? Because, you, know, you know, Jesus has come. He's the fulfillment of the law, <clears throat> the prophets, all of that. Yay. Now what we really need next is, if you have a Jesus and religion... Back away. Jesus is the fulfillment. But many churches will say, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Now, do you believe in all of these things that we require you to believe? 
Or let's talk about who you are, your place you are in society, how much you can give, if you can give. Let's talk about whether you agree with us about sexual matters, about doctrinal matters, about politics. You really don't believe Jesus has fulfilled the law then. You really don't have Jesus as king. Because if you have Jesus as king, you look at somebody else and say, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And they say yes. And we can go, yay, we're brothers. And if they say no, we can say, yay, we love you. Because we're not going to hate anybody. We have a king. Now, I don't think there's anything else we could possibly need, but it's amazing how many needs we put on stuff anyway. I bought a lawnmower when I moved here. Uh, I'd already torn up my old one. I'm not good with machines. Um, there, there have been known when I walk into Lowe's or Home Depot for lawnmowers to, to look the other way, afraid to make eye contact. Uh, so, <clears throat> when, and it came, it came with a book, a book with many pages of what not to do, including don't put your hands into the blades while it's running, which ruined my plans for that evening. I had things sorted out. Why is that there? Because people have made mistakes and therefore what we need are more laws. I bought a ladder. It came with a book. Don't do this with it. Don't do that with it. And I'm going, who did this? And, and by the way, they probably aren't here anymore. So why are we writing a book? But we have to have the book. Most of us, we look at Jesus and we still want something else and there isn't anything else. We, most of us here know, that, and perhaps out there, we have a lot of people in Muslim countries that watch, and we love all of you, and you know that, because many of you have written me, and we've made sure you know. But many of you may not know. The ending of Matthew, Jesus says, all power or authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. But we don't have to wait until Matthew, the, Matthew's in to hear King talking. Verses 19 and 20, therefore anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and, teachings and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot going on in that verse. There is a whole lot going on. Um, notice, first of all, Jesus decides who's in the kingdom and who isn't. Not my job. Not your job. And note that he says the ones who break the law will be called least. Where? In heaven. How many times have you been told you didn't keep the law well, so you're, you're lost? Really? You get to decide that then? He handed that part of his job over to you. Well, I'm doubting that. He decides. And he said even the ones who break the law and... and they end up being the least in heaven. Well, that's still a win, isn't it? Of course it is. But those who are religiously arrogant and believe that they're the judges of others are the ones in danger of not being in the, in the kingdom. Look at that next verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this makes me think that this section is in reaction to a shouting match. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there to police this action. And they would have been going, no, no, no. This. They would have been moving about saying, what is this? Why are you listening to this fellow? You know, follow us. And the Pharisees would have been dressed in a particular way. They would have had little boxes on their wrist. 
These are called phylacteries. In the boxes and on the boxes would be written scripture. They would have it on the forehead. They'd have a box too. And some people make their box bigger because people have always been people. You know, and you know, oh, look at them. They're a little box Pharisee, but look over here. You know, and then they would have these fringes that they would wear because we are super holy and we have the word of God, you see, on our left hand and upon our right and upon our forehead. And they had so many rules. And yet Jesus is going to stand up there and say, you got to be better than them. Now, by the way, when he said that, there had been audible gasp and some people going, oh, no. Because it kept piling up more and more rules on people. And Jesus said, you got to be better than that. Now, well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, the Pharisees and others stacked law and law and law until it broke the backs or the spirit of the common people. And then Jesus says, you got to exceed that. Yeah, you do. Because they're doing it wrong. <laughs> they're putting it on the outside. We're supposed to move the law into the inside. See what he says next? You've heard it said that it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone that murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, which is an out-of-date term, it, it basically just means it's contempt. It's a contemptuous term. If you will see many such terms on Twitter. Uh, and people will sling that judgment out there. By the way, I think he chose this because somebody had called him this as he's speaking. Once you understand that this was interactive, then you can hear the other side of the conversation. And then he goes and is answerable to court. If, and if you say, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. When I was a kid, this passage scared me to death because I'd, I'd already called a bunch of people fools. Oh my goodness, I, I, I didn't take long after learning how to speak before voicing my opinion about the value of other people. And therefore, I'm going, that's it? Um, you know, Paul murders a bunch of people, he gets forgiven. And, and now I just say, you idiot, and, and we're off? No, that's not what it means. Back then, it was a much harsher thing. It means not worthy of life, not a real person, not worthy not worthy. And we don't get to make that decision because that's God's kid. Everybody you meet is God's kid. You don't get to make a decision about them or their value or judge them. They're God's child. Whether you like them or not, whether you like the way they look or not, whether you have disagreements with them on doctrine, that's God's kid. Treat them accordingly. It's the law. Our king has spoken. So, what is he going to do about the righteous, uh, the righteous of the Pharisees? He's just going to move it from the outside to the inside. First thing we need to note, you have heard it said, quote scripture, but I say five times in that one chapter. You can find it on your own, but the notes are always attached to the YouTube um, portion of our, we have other platforms. But also... I'll just go ahead and say it. Verses 27 and 28, verses 31, 32, verses 33, 34, verses 38, 39, and verses 43 and 44. Jesus did not pull back from the objections he was getting from the crowd. He leaned into them. And he kept saying, you've heard it said, but I say. And people are going to be swooping their heads around saying, are you hearing this? And other people are going to be saying things. What is, what, what is, what is he saying? He's saying, your righteousness is made up of out, 
side stuff. You go through the motions, bound laws and traditions on, on yourselves and upon others. You keep a rigorous daily discipline concerning food and money and Sabbath and sacrifices. But Jesus is a king and he wants us to be righteous on the inside. We'll explore this in the weeks to come. But it is amazingly powerful. Even to the point of saying, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there, go be reconciled. In other words, being reconciled trumps going to church. Being reconciled trumps giving. We are, according to Paul, ambassadors of Christ now. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. My uh, son-in-law is an amazing man. Just wrote his fourth book, and he's just, just such a good guy. A strong man of God. Well, we met him when we moved up into the Detroit region, where we stayed for 10 years, and absolutely loved our time there, and loved the people there, and still do, every single one. Uh, but Josh was, at that time, the campus minister. And he stayed the campus minister until he became my associate minister. And then he went down to Lipscomb to... There are air quotes for those on podcasts. Pursue a master's degree in theology. He was down there to pursue my daughter. We all knew it. <laughs> yeah, if he got a degree, that'd be sweet. But that's not, that was not his main target. And he did marry her, and he did get his master's and his PhD, by the way. But I can remember, after only being around him a couple of years, every now and then, Cammie and I would look at each other and say, how long before he says the word Reconciliation. Because he had grown up a white man in a majority African-American context. And most of his friends were African-Americans. He played sports with African-Americans. And his passion then and now is reconciliation. He's the one that got me personally involved with working with Muslims. Which has been one of the highlights of my life. Because he says, we just can't leave it here. We've got to reconcile. And I love that about him. He gets what Jesus is saying here. I didn't tell him I was going to tell you that. If he asks what I think about him, don't let him know. <laughs> he knows. Think about this, people. I've been getting some emails from people who love us and love this, but they're saying, how do we start our own house church or something? How can we reach our neighbors? You love them until they follow you home. You love them until they ask you why. I know that sounds inefficient, but it's the only way to do this. Because if you do it any other way, what happens? Eventually, well, we need to rent a space. We need to buy a building. We need to build this territory. Now we need to differentiate ourselves from all other churches. As if Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is enough. We can do this. And by the way, just to let you know, house church people... The board and, and our staff here, we are actively working on setting up training that we can bring you here to show you how to do it more efficiently, how to bring in people, how to love people in your community. Uh, just wait and for the announcement, but that it's coming. We're working hard on this. We want you to know that. So we're called to do more than refrain from murder. My wife says, uh, hello, you know, sweetie, uh, how, how was your day? And I say, well, didn't murder anyone. <laughs> She's not going to say, cool, you have now fulfilled the law. Although technically the law is probably why I didn't kill somebody. There, I drive in Nashville too. 
You know, it's always funny to me when people complain about traffic because that's the thing we complain about that we are part of the problem. We're on the road. Who cares about traffic if you're not on the road? You are traffic. But we find ourselves complaining about the very thing that we're participating in. Anyway, moving on. These verses are very hard, by the way, to translate into modern languages as they presuppose a knowledge of the world in which Jesus lived. The Jews have been very divided and had been for a long time. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots. And there were micro-breaks between these. And uh, people followed various rabbis. The Essenes were a splinter group. Others were out there. Rather than being content in getting it right, none of these groups just wanted to get it right. These groups would also require their members to look down on or judge people that weren't like the group. Because a lot of Christians today have inherited this. They spend more of their time judging others for not coming up to their standards than they do serving these people in the name of Jesus. And is that a blanket condemnation? Yes, it is. Do I feel safe in making it? Yes, I do. Sadly. Because that's the tendency of human beings. Mark out a territory and protect it. Rather than give it to the hands of Jesus and move forward with him. So, rather like today, the people took their interpretation of the word of God as the word of God. The same today, when many people will say, the Bible is word for word, inspired in every detail. What they really mean is, my interpretation of the Bible is inspired in every detail. Whenever they read it to me, sometimes they'll say, that's a plain words of scripture. I'll say, there have never been plain words spoken. Words always have a subtext. Words always have a context. Words always have a place. We must find the context, the subtext, and what else was going on at the time. Who said it, why and when? For example, you've, if you've ever listened to um, you know, Dateline NBC or 48 Hours or any of the true crime stuff, you know what they do. They'll find somebody that found you eight years ago, said, you know, I could kill that guy. Now they draw you up in front and say, did you not say you would kill that guy? Well, most people when they say I could kill that guy are saying something stupid, but not real. You understand? They're really saying I could do without that person in my life. You beam them up, Scotty. But what happened? What was the context when they said that? What did they really mean? What's the subtext? Many will tell you that they know. But here's the thing. If there are those standing in disagreement with them, then the issue is not settled. We always have to leave room for us to be wrong. We have to leave room for it to be us who says, mm, I got that wrong, and I'm very sorry, I will change. If you are not able to do that easily, I'm not sure where you are with Jesus. The good news is he decides who goes. What I will say is this. I remember John 3, 16. You know that. For God so loved the world that whoever believeth in him shall, uh, should have eternal life is the way it used to be. Well, in the newer versions it says shall. Well, that was enough for us to make sure none of the newer versions got in our church. Because we said should be, they should, if they believe in Christ, they should be saved, but they may not be if they don't fulfill all this stuff. And so we tried to modernize the language. We, like I did it, I didn't do it. Translators tried to modernize the language to make it mean what it meant. 
and said, shall not be saved. The word shall means shall. It doesn't mean might. It doesn't mean could if they meet all the other conditions. You know, then flashes up on the screen those unreadable words right as the commercial goes off. And I always go, well, how does this help me? Uh, my general rule is if they got to throw a bunch of words up at the end, the commercial was lying to me and, and move on. But Jesus didn't have to do that. We tend to do it. The fact is the oldest manuscripts we can find are very plain in saying that Jesus says, those who believe in, John says, those who believe in Jesus won't be, be condemned. They will be saved, period. It's an imperative use of a term. In, in American English, we've lost the imperative. Now, you won't do that doesn't mean the same as you shall not do that. Won't do it means the rule is don't do it. Shall not means if you do that, you are so busted because that is never tolerated. Well, when it's a positive, shall be saved. Can we kick off our shoes and relax a little bit and enjoy being saved? I think so. Jesus is calling for a greater righteousness than can be done outside. Outside things are cool. It might be coming to here or to your house church or uh, it might be singing songs about Jesus. But Jesus wants the removal of hatred from our hearts. So he talks about Samaritans and he talks about sex workers and he talks about the broken and the widows. By the way, sometimes here it says, whoever is angry with a brother or sister without cause, if your version has that, I hope it has a textual note saying most of the ancient texts don't say without cause. I, don't, I think some copy of somewhere went, looked over at the person next to him and said, I hate you, <laughs> but I got a cause. So go back to the earliest manuscripts. It, it doesn't, it seems unlikely that Jesus would have said that. Don't use terms of contempt, not for those who don't vote like you, don't for those who, don't, who disagree with you on really personal, intense things. Don't demean them. Don't act as if they were unworthy of life, or at least unworthy of life in our community, in our homes, in our hearts. Because if you do that, then you become like Adam and Eve. You become gods to yourself, deciding what is good and what is evil. Jesus, our King, has ordered us to get along. Don't make Jesus stop this car. Some of you, sadly, will never know what that means. I had to sit in the middle of the back seat because I had two older sisters. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> back then, you didn't have front-wheel drive cars, didn't have SUVs. So there was a transmission tunnel in the middle. It meant your knees had to be about here. So you didn't even see anything but knee. And if you tried to move, you were on their space. And so let's just say that there were tensions in the back seat. And every so often, there'd be a mighty hand flung back and just swinging amongst us. Doesn't really matter who's guilty, just wants to hit something. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the tee, ready. I've been teed up on a transmission tunnel. So I, and then it would even get worse if he said, don't make me stop the car, because we knew what he was capable of. And we were going, okay, okay. We're, we're not able to worship God unless we are devoted to reconciliation and peace. Of course, we're not prohibited from worshiping if a brother refuses to reconcile with us. But we have to make the effort. 
If we're turned aside, fine. But we are always ready and always willing to reconcile. Not if they do all these things or if they say all these things or if they apologize for all these things. No. Just somebody says, I want to be with you. Okay. It's all right. Welcome. I know that shocking. But remember the Paul said in Romans 12, 18. I love it. If it is possible, and as much as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Why? Because we have a king. And our, that's the behavior he expects from the people who are in his kingdom. I'll close with just a reminder of this short little passage in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Take it seriously, church. Let's see, I say Philippians chapter 3, didn't I? No wonder it looked wrong. I was in chapter 2. First mistake I ever made in my life, and it's right here in front of everybody. Verses, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is present tense in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. You want to be as good and sweet and kind and loving as Jesus? We'll walk with him. After a while, you'll start. It may be a process, may not be an event, but it will be wonderful and enough. We have a king. It's time to hear his words and say, okay. Even if it radically means our church changes because he's changed what it means to be church, we'll do that. We will do whatever God says.